Good morning. You are listening to Tech Talk on the Nachum Siegel Network. I am your host, Arye Lightstone. You can listen to us on jmandtheam.org or nachumsiegel.com. As always, we are proud to be sponsored by our friends at Adorama Camera, more than just a camera store. Please check them out online at adorama.com or visit them in person, as I have done, at 42 West 18th Street. As a special note, you'll also be able to hopefully see us streaming live at some point in time during the show on NahumSiegel.com. So today's a pretty exciting day. First of all, for anybody, I guess anywhere in America, stay warm. It's, uh, you know, we're in the middle of a little bit of a cold spell over here. Uh, the second piece is, thank God, we woke up this morning, at least here in New York, and the, the sidewalks were fairly clear yesterday. Uh, a lot of slipping and sliding all around, and uh, exciting to be able to get to work successfully this morning. Please, God, everybody else should have that opportunity as well. If you're there, you know, stay there and stay safe, stay warm. <clears throat> Secondly, there's a tremendous amount of excitement uh, in the air. If you've never been in a host city during Super Bowl week, there's a palpable buzz uh, that affects just so many different things, almost irrespective of whether you are or are not a football fan as a uh, Denverite uh, through and through. Uh, I have a personal uh, excitement about this upcoming Sunday. It's truly a big game, and uh, you know, part of education is trying to educate my kids in that as well. And uh, it's uh, it's just exciting. And, and here, whether it's public transportation, what they're doing on Broadway, closing it down as the Super Bowl Boulevard, just lots of different things going on. Um, really, very very exciting. And this morning, driving in, uh, as soon as I was done listening to Nachum Siegel myself, I turned over and there was a interview of Roger Goodell, the chairman of uh, of uh, the, the commissioner of the National Football League. And one of the questions that he kept on being asked, which I thought was absolutely fascinating, is the difference in between being able to watch uh, the game, where that's almost a better experience than going to it live. And here in New York, we've got a challenge as well in terms of going to it live because of the potential weather. And it's something that even you know the most popular things in the world are, are confronting with technology. I think two weeks ago, we had a chance to hear from uh, from... Ellie Blumenthal, who was at the CES, the big commercial electronics, consumer electronics um, uh, convention, and he was explaining about some of these new TVs that really make you feel like you are live in the action itself in between the speakers and the TV, etc. So I just thought it was fascinating that one of the conversations was about how will the live experience compete with an almost better uh, non, uh, not not live, but uh, but not physical, not, not their technological experience, which I thought was absolutely fascinating. Anyways, this morning we are uh, really blessed and excited to have on Stu Greenberg from Woodmere, New York, uh, who's going to be one of our guests this morning. He has uh, been involved with uh, IT, with technology, for nearly 20 years, and we're going to talk specifically about education technology because later on this week, myself and most other people uh, in uh, that I know anyways involved with education technology are going to be down in Florida, in Orlando for what the Florida Educational Technology Conference. For numerous different reasons, this is why we're going to speak about to Stewie. Stewie was there last year. He's going to share us some of the thoughts about what he's anticipating seeing this year. It's really just an outstanding expo of all of the, the latest and greatest technologies that's out there for education. We're going to get a chance to hear a little bit about what that's about, why he himself is passionate about being involved with education technology, um, and some of the things that hopefully we anticipate seeing this upcoming week. I know I'm excited. It's the first one that I'm going to see in person. I've seen some of the videos and, and, and been to many of the sites, but it's, it is not the same 
uh, I am told is as uh, seeing it virtually as being at it in reality. So I'm pretty excited about that and excited to have Stewie get on in a couple minutes. Before doing that, <clears throat> I want to just a interesting recap from some of the international news uh, this week. For, for those following in Davos, and I, I hope I said that correctly, in Switzerland, uh, with the International Economic Summit being held there, for those who didn't have a chance to hear Prime Minister Netanyahu speak, uh, you missed out. You should go ahead and you, you can YouTube it. You can find him online and hear some of his speeches. But to me, it was very, very fascinating because one of the few times on an international stage that the majority of the focus of the leaders uh, of the international world uh, focused on Israel but didn't focus on it politically. It focused on it economically. And you can only say, wow, what a difference the last 10 years has made uh, in order to have the Prime Minister of Israel have a keynote speech at an international conference and it be on educating sort of the world in terms of how the culture has been created in Israel for what we know as startup nation. So I would strongly encourage everybody, if you haven't heard Bibi's speech, to go ahead and to listen to his speech. I thought he was absolutely uh, magnificent in terms of uh, his coherence and in terms of his presentation. And I think it's important for us to walk away with two what I find fascinating comments that he mentioned, and I think this speaks to the heart of entrepreneurism and technology that maybe many of us don't get, myself included. Number one, in order to be successful as a startup nation, he said they could not have succeeded without the macro, the the larger general economic pieces that happened in Israel falling into place in the correct way. They needed to make sure that they got their spending in order. They needed to make sure that the taxation was in order. They needed to make sure, obviously, that the safety and security was in order. All of those things needed to happen. So technology opportunities do not happen in a bubble, and I think it's important to realize that. The second piece, excuse me, and I I think that it's uh, it's important that uh, for the listeners out there, the entrepreneurs intuitively know this, but maybe this is something that we we focused on listening to our, our, our many guests it, to understand, he says, you have to fail in order to succeed. That the, the primary reason why Israel has fostered this culture of innovation, of uh, startup intuitiveness, has really been because out of, I don't, I don't want to say out of desperation, but out of need, out of necessity, because they don't have natural trading partners that are geographically close to them. They needed to create a new economy because they don't have a natural way to get many of their resources that would otherwise be, you know, uh, given or taken by their uh, geographic neighbors, they needed to come up with agritech, which, which as we've spoke about on the show a couple of different times, so the next big wave out of Israel is a lot of the agri- agricultural technology that's coming up, the nanochips, everything being created much smaller. The smaller the product is, the more technological the product is, it, it doesn't make a difference if you're not trading with your immediate neighbors. You can be trading with people across the world in order to make that happen. But the one thing that uh, that Bibi spoke about that I thought resonated with everybody in anticipation of the Super Bowl this Sunday, the Olympics coming up in Russia in just a little bit over two weeks from now, is the concept of security. And there are two types of security. One Israel is well known for, which is the physical security, is if you've been, you know, before walking into a mall, before walking into a restaurant, getting on an LL flight, whatever that would be, you have this innate sense of comfort uh, in the security industry that uh, that Israel has, has pioneered, unfortunately, out of necessity, but is really... Uh, uh, developed down to a science, and we see also, unfortunately, in our schools, taking advantage of, uh, of the Israeli expertise in terms of security, even, even unfortunately, again, in our schools. 
But you see large events in the Super Bowl and, and the Olympics, which all the buzz is about uh, the necessity for security. So BB pointed out something that I think hits closer to home for those of us who won't be attending the Super Bowl in person and who won't be going to the Olympics, which is, I think, a bucket list uh, desire of mine, but probably not in Russia. Um, maybe they'll do it in New Zealand. I think that would be a fun place to go. Um, but uh, but the security issues, <clears throat> something that I think speaks to all of us is having purchased something online or gone to a store and used our credit card. Target and Nordstrom, uh, you know, most recently have, have become famous for this, losing your information. And what Bibi really called out to the leaders of the free world and the not as free world said, allow us to be your research and development. Allow us to be your incubator for new technology, specifically regarding cybersecurity. If you want to stay ahead of the curve, so much of what exists out there needs to be online, and the ability to interact appropriately online means that you have to have comfort every time you put in your credit card information, every time you put in a password, every time you do any of those things, and, and to have a target, a Nordstrom, someplace like that, that we have tremendous comfort in their ability from a security perspective, and you lose that a little bit, that does shake some of the fundamentals of this online economy that we've spoken about in such a meaningful way. So, you know, BB shouted out, and said, uh, please come to us. This is something that we work on. And for those people who, who aren't following a little bit more carefully behind the scenes, Israel is, is under physical challenges, as we're all aware, hence the physical security, but also cyber challenges. And, uh, and they really are at the cutting edge of that. And I thought that was just a fascinating uh, uh, keynote speech by uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu to get up there and say, look, we are the hub of innovation, and here being Tech Talk, where we try to focus on entrepreneurism and technology, especially if we have the opportunity to tie it to Israel, there's no greater place than the source coming straight from Bibi and, and you know, hearkening back to his background, uh, which was as the finance minister when Israel started to sort of turn things around in a, in a meaningful way. So again, just as an encouragement to everybody out there, I would spend a couple of minutes looking at uh, or listening to Bibi's speech at Davos and, and see how he was received. It was really a, a um, normative reception that he got in an international forum, which I think is really, really impressive, really incredible. Anyways, just as a reminder to everybody out there, you are listening to Tech Talk on the Nachum Siegel Network. You are listening to R.E. Lightstone. This is my 11th show, uh, and I'm starting to really enjoy myself talking to you, talking to our guests about technology and entrepreneurship. You can listen to us on jmandtheam.org or NachumSiegel.com. As always, we are proud to be sponsored by our friends at Adorama Camera, more than a camera store. Please check them out online at Adorama.com or visit them in person at 42 West 18th Street. You know, today is a, is a pretty special day for myself. In addition to having Stu Greenberg call in, and we're going to talk about uh, education technology. We're going to talk about the Florida Conference. For me, it's a very special day. It's uh, Bring Your Son to Work Day. So I've got... Uh, my son, Akiva Lightstone, here at the Nachum Siegel Network on JM in the AM, uh, here co-hosting Tech Talk with me. He's five. He knows much more about technology. They would call him a digital native, as opposed to me. I'm just sort of visiting. And uh, and we're excited to have him here at the end. Maybe we'll get him on just to say hi and uh, and to give a little wave to the camera. So we're excited about that. I think Stu is on the line. Stu, are you there? Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know uh, on any week that somebody's spending time at a conference and going to a convention, that means you have to jam-pack so much more into those days that you are actually in town, working, family, whatever else it would be, and for you to take out time uh, to spend with us today, is uh, I, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, I'm really looking forward to the conversation, so uh, I always make time for you. I, I appreciate that. So, Stu, for those 
who are listening out here is a uh, is a dear friend of mine. Uh, lives in Woodmere, New York. Has an absolutely outstanding family. Has been involved with uh, technology in different ways, and he'll share with us in a moment uh, some of those different ways for uh, almost two decades, and uh, fairly recently um, has made a pivot into a major move into education technology. I'll tell you, in, in many of the five town schools, uh, he's called upon as an expert, I'm sure outside of the five towns as well. Uh, I know that uh, um, there are different components of technology. There are the people who create the technology, they're the end users of technology, but there's that whole bridge in the middle where you have the the, the manufacturers and the sellers, and you've got the end users, and especially when it comes to education, that require a special um, touch in order to get people involved with that. And, and, and Stewie has really made that his mark, and, and we're excited to have you on and to hear about this. I've also told our listeners that you're going to fill us in on some of the things that I should be looking for, and you'll be guiding me at the Florida Educational Technology Conference uh, in just the next couple of days. So, so again, welcome, Stu. We're excited to have you. Thanks. Great to be here. So, so tell me a little bit about how you got involved with technology at the very beginning. Well, the very beginning, I was coming out of grad school, and I had an opportunity uh, to join the team at a thriving healthcare company, a home care company actually based in, in New York that had branched out into various different um, uh, counties in the state, in, in the city actually. And um, they brought me on as a systems analyst with the intention of moving towards the director of IT. Now, again, you have to understand that this is 1991, and we're talking about green screens and mini-computer systems as opposed to tablets and smartphones. So uh, it was a much different world. A lot of business was still paper-based, and there was this whole... Uh, interface, human interface that had to happen to merge technology with paper-based procedures. So I was thrilled with the opportunity to really get in on the ground level of, of healthcare technology at that juncture. It was really inspiring and I was learning with a management team that had been in this business for many years and it involved building a network, uh, among other things, building a physical computer network, a PC-based network uh, around the various locations in the city. We had uh, some some, somewhere over a thousand um, home health care aides that were under our charge dis, uh, dispatched around the city. Um, at, at that point, one of the greatest uh, accomplishments of, 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 that, uh, of that point in my career was that we were interfacing with a brand new technology, uh, which is similar to the technology that Hatsala and 911 and EMS uses, where the where corporate the corporate world would be able to harness the um, the, the um, catching the number that someone is calling from. So today we call that caller ID, and every single phone has it. But back then, this was only being used in the public sector for government agencies. And there was a software company that was developing this technology so that we could actually track where our aides, where our staff was calling from, to validate that they were actually fulfilling their obligations and their, thereby our our company fulfilling our, our contractual obligations with the city, the state, and, of course, to the patients and, and uh, constituents that we, that we serviced. So it, it was a thrilling time to be there, and we grew this, this operation from, uh, from, from a pretty small, like I said, green screen, mini-computer operation uh, to purchasing a new building with five floors, staffing 100 people in-house. And what, the position that they put me in was really uh, one of the senior management team where I was reporting directly to the CFO, and they were making financial decisions based upon our ability to service or to better service our contracts and our clients. So I wasn't 
just a you know a a a wire and and uh you know PC guy I was the person who was really helping them make management decisions and to move the company further and uh, you know for for a guy coming out of grad school it was a great opportunity and uh I I really became passionate about healthcare uh, four or five years later, I, I had a uh, an opportunity to go work with with another burgeoning area of the healthcare industry. It was called an IPA, which is basically, for lack of a better term, a doctors union, uh, which worked with with physicians. We had a thousand physicians in the New York City's tri-state area um, who we represented and negotiated contracts for. And as a result, I delved very far into Medicare and Medicaid and and. Uh, payer systems. And it was my job before there was the internet, when we merely had ISDN lines, DSL wasn't even out yet, to connect all of our partner doctors and practices back to our system so we can be in constant communication with them. So everything that we take for granted now, we walk into a doctor's office about validating our, our, our you know, healthcare cards and our eligibility and to make sure all those you know, premiums get paid, et cetera, et cetera. Those systems didn't exist back then, and this was really the entree to that. So I was very lucky to be on the ground level of certain technologies through that part of the career. What ended up happening is Wall Street really went sour on healthcare after a while, and a lot of the investment capital that was put into these types of companies dried up. And um, my, I was almost forced to diversify. We started working for some of the hospitals that were affiliated with the doctors we were working with. That led to nursing homes. Nursing homes led to retail. Retail led to other industries like mortgage banking, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And we just became a diversified um, IT services firm. And again, the model was working directly with senior management to move the company ahead that was always that was always the perspective it wasn't just hi we're going to buy a couple of computers and install them for you it was really about corporate philosophy and how to get from point a to point b as efficiently and as cost effectively as possible see to so, me to me that is incredibly unique because i think that's the difference in between what i would call an it professional and somebody who's an it entrepreneur because well, an, uh, go ahead at the time, it didn't seem very entrepreneurial because here I was coming out of grad school. But, you know, it's, it's the right time, the right place. And, you know, with the right opportunity, I really was able to, you know, build my knowledge um, at the behest of my employers at that point. And, you know, I was given a really great ride and a really great, uh, you know, healthcare-centric education and, and technology education from the management perspective. Again, not from the, te- you know, again, I, 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 could, I could take apart a PC if I had to, but the goal of this was really to, to work with the companies to deal with their vision. And as we walked into retail and, and mortgage banking and all of these other industries, you know, it, it became just as easy to walk up to an entrepreneur or a thriving mid-sized business and help them grow their not only their infrastructure but to grow their offering both to their clients to their business partners and and obviously to the partners so that they could grow their business effectively um, you know, most recently, the, the the vertical that we were introduced to was the the educational industry. I mean, working in the five towns, there are a ton of private schools. You know, being in the Orthodox community here, um, obviously, my children go to to uh, to Hebrew day schools and yeshivot. Um, in, in you know, in the neighborhoods, and uh, you know, obviously, being involved in the community, I had exposure to different you know levels of administrators and and board members. And very similarly, as technology started creeping in into what you can do in the classroom, what you can do with the computer lab, um, with, with, with the GRUS Foundation starting to uh, 
um, you know, proliferate the use of smart boards and various other technologies in the classroom and actually starting to train teachers, you know, the, 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 the landscape of education was changing, and while most schools had a tech support company, they never really had anyone to advise them on their educational technology needs and how to, yes, keep, keep the back office running, but at the same time, inspire, teach, and, and, and uh, inculcate technology into the daily learning and teaching operations. Right, so I want to pause you there for one moment. Because I want to get into the education, and I want to focus on that in a couple minutes, but I, I had two thoughts that I wanted your feedback on. Number one is, because you didn't take in, in, in the original iteration of your IT company, you didn't come in and hear from their IT purchasing person, we want X, Y, and Z, and please fulfill that, and you know, do the wiring, take apart the PC, whatever's involved with that. You got to know the business and understand what they were needing, and you got to sort of suggest... Uh, and not only sort of suggest, but you got to suggest what it was. How much time did you have to spend when you went from healthcare to mortgages, mortgages to retail, etc.? How much time did you have to get into the bones of those so, companies in order to best advise them? So I have to say, with 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 the staff that I have working for me and have had working for me over the years, um, that always called upon me personally to sit with a business owner and to get under their skin and to sit in various meetings. So if it was a mortgage bank or if it was a duck cleaning company or whatever the iteration of this business was, it was a matter of spending time there, understanding their business structure, understanding how their staff function, and try and work on efficiencies. So technology is not the, the cure-all. It needs to be, it could, it could, it could propel a business uh, certainly to, you know, to new heights and certainly can cut costs. But at the end of the day, IT is really you know, an expense more, and a liability more than it is a cost savings. While you might save man hours working on a particular process, you know, if the technology is not cost effective or is not being used pr- productively and therefore wasting employee time, then it, it might be you know, a, you know, uh, the, the, the net result might be a loss. So the idea was understanding how a business functions, and that's really where where I became a lot more proficient in sitting and understanding in a short period of time with each of these business owners or the teams, the management teams that we were working with. Uh, you know, it would take weeks, it would take you know months, and it would be a matter of looking at what the IT support company that they had been using had been working with. It wasn't a matter of go out and buy this new system. It was a matter of can you come to us understand what our needs are, and help us go out and find the right solutions. Right. So, so, I, so I think there's a significant component of what I would call management consulting, maybe entrepreneurial management consulting because you're focusing both on the growth and the, the sustainability of the company at the same time. And, and did you get training for that in school, or this is something that you picked on, picked up? So, uh, you know, with- uh, I did take. I, I have I have a master's in communications from the New School University, and uh, to, to say the least, it was an eclectic place to go to to grad school. And uh, I had started working at that home care company during my my uh, my, my graduate years, and um, I had taken a management class or two. But more of what I learned in terms of organization, ironically, came from the ability to organize my thoughts and then understand how other people um, organize their thoughts. If I had to point back to to an actual education, um, other than a management, you know, one or two management courses between you know college and and grad school, I would probably say that the courses that had the most effect on my career now were my public speaking courses. 
courses and my you know oral presentation courses. I mean, I can I can think back to Tony Bukas in Yeshiva University in uh, you know in, in 1988 or 89, which really who was the speech professor at that time, and uh, you know was probably the hardest class I had to take in my entire educational career. But I still use facets of what he's taught in in my everyday you know business practice, and 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 it really taught me how to communicate myself. But more importantly, to understand and to 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 really implicitly look into what other people are saying to you. So it's a matter of learning to 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 to, um, to emote on your own, but also learning to listen to others. And that ability to absorb when when a business owner or a team or a management team is is passionate about their business, you have to become equally as passionate in helping them through their their dilemma or through their 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 moving forward. Right. And if you're not part of that equation, then you, you just don't have what it takes to do this. Yes, you can you can, you could find them a software package to work with, or you could find a solution to you know to automate something or to expedite something. But it's not really doing them the service that they need. And what we've tried to do is even though we function as an outsource to become an integral part of the operations of our clients' businesses. Right, which is awesome. You're listening now to Tech Talk. Uh, on the Nachum Siegel Network, uh, you're here with R.E. Lightstone. We have a special guest with us today, Stu Greenberg. You can listen to us on jmtheam.org or nachumsiegel.com. We are proud to be sponsored by our friends at Adorama Camera, much more than just a camera store. Please check them out online at adorama.com or visit them in person at 42 West 18th Street. I believe you can also see us streaming live on Nachum Siegel, or you'll be able to see us later in the archives, which is pretty exciting as well. Um, the last question before we go to the education technology and, and talking about the conference and some of the accomplishments that you've made. We were sitting around the, the, the Shabbos table this past week, and, and some people who I would say are in some more uh, traditional careers, uh, you know, explain that, yeah, I've got this itch, I've got, I don't know what's going to be with partner, I don't know what's going to be with the, the next step. To me, what you're talking about here as this management consultant plus the IT is that, while your business is the same, obviously it's evolving because technology, if you're not ahead, you're behind, but because you get to pivot from industry to industry, it's got to be pretty exciting. Is, is that one of the appeals of what you do? Well, the appeal is that day-to-day everything changes. You know, as director of IT in, you know, two different healthcare companies spanning 10 years, there certainly was, was enough to stay excited by on a regular basis. And it was very hard to leave that sheltered environment of, you know, two companies having worked there for five, five years. You know, the beauty of what I do right now is, A, I'm running my own business, which obviously has its triumphs and, and its tribulations as well. Um, you know, the, the, the beauty of it is that, I get to speak to many of my clients on a daily basis or certainly several times a week. And, you know, we schedule regular meetings, and these meetings are very, very cordial. And I'm, I'm really honored to be part of their team, you know, despite the fact that we're an outsource. So it is a thrill to hop from one industry to the next. The, the, the reason, though, that, uh, you know, I've now uh, decided to, to focus my attentions on education, and I know we're going to segue into this, um, very simply is because, by dint of the fact that I diversified to such a great extent, that passion that I had when I first, you know, joined the, the healthcare IT, you know, uh, brotherhood, so to speak, um, and certainly from from the management perspective, um, I, I had this intense passion to work with those new technologies. Mm. And and while certainly healthcare now has evolved back to that place, the the the, the previous ten years. 
um, really haven't yielded many innovations. Today, it's very hot again, and I have a close friend who is, you know, who's a senior programmer at, at a major healthcare uh, medical records firm. And to an extent, I was I was a little bit jealous because I had lost my passion, and he came from from an investment banking world where he was programming call you know um, call systems, and is now you know working in the healthcare industry that I held so dear for so many years. But you know, again, now he's he's you know he's he's spending his time focusing on healthcare and you know I've diversified but I I really found a new passion working with education similar to that passion that I had working in healthcare in those early years so uh, as as people who go to new industries it's important to find success early on looking at your bio there are two point uh, two pieces that I think speak to me and say wow that jumps off the page and I'd like you to share with our audience a little bit about both of them. Let's start with the hour to code and sort of how you got that implemented in one of the schools and, and why you felt that was important. So hour of code is, is an incredibly innovative um, operation, I would say. Uh, the likes of, uh, of, of Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg and the, the tech glitterati of the world got together uh, with the U.S. Department of Education, realizing that the U.S. is really outsourcing too many of its tech jobs. But more importantly, while there's a lot of innovation going on in this country, the, 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 the building of those products, or in this case software, is being done as an outsource in countries around the world. And you know, all of these guys who were either Harvard dropouts or Harvard, Harvard success stories um, really built, you know, the, the, the building blocks for the tech industry of the world at this point. And while certainly there are other international players right now, you know, the Microsofts and the Apples and the Facebooks of this world really have the market share. And while a lot of their operations are outsourced, they're lamenting at the fact that these businesses were created in garages, you know, in, in their hometowns. And that really doesn't exist to that extent anymore because when you have an American entrepreneur who might have a great idea for a piece of software or a new piece of technology, the first reaction is where I can find, you know, uh, programmers on the cheap in the Ukraine or the Philippines. How can I outsource my tech support, um, you know, or my customer support to a country where it's cheaper than it is here? And the reason it's so expensive here, obviously, is because, you know, the, the, it's, it's supply and demand and, and the, the human capital uh, that we had many years ago is just not available here right now. And part of the problem that they, that they addressed was that we're not educating our students from, from elementary school on how to build this technology. We're teaching them a lot about how to use the technology, or in many cases we're handing them the technology and they figure it out on their own. But there are very few kids who are, who are learning how to program. There are very few kids who are learning how to take apart a computer. I can't tell you how many students, my, my, my own children included, you know, have, have no clue what's inside of that big box that's under their desk or what's inside of their laptop. And while on the surface it might not be that important as long as they know how to use these tools and make them productive members, you know, and, and use it to make them a more productive member of society, um, it's still important, you know, to learn how everything works. No, and, I, I, I would agree with you 100%. <clears throat> Excuse me, you know, just uh, I mentioned in the beginning of the show that I have the privilege of bringing my five-year-old to uh, to work today. So he's sitting on the floor of the Nachum Siegel uh, Network here uh, playing on the iPad, and I noticed that he's running three applications simultaneously. I have no idea how to do that, and he's doing various different stuff with his fingers 
uh, enabling different things to happen sort of at the same time. I, I'm fairly positive he doesn't know how to open these things up. And maybe part of that is the Apple nation that we sort of live in that doesn't allow you to get inside and tinker. You know, one, one of the advantages to the PCs that they, they let you do that. And I know the programming and sort of the next thing is the apps and, and stuff like that. So th- this coding component is incredibly critical. I, I certainly get that and hear that. So what basically uh, Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg uh, in spearheading this project did was they got together the uh, the superstars, the Facebooks, the Angry Birds, the all of all of the game companies and all of the major software companies to lend their best talent to developing a, a an easy an easy means to introduce our younger students and older students for that matter to the areas of programming and what's behind it. And the idea is not to say we're going to send all of our kids to become programmers now, but the idea is that when you understand what's behind the technology you're using, you might want to, you know, think of ways to improve on it, or you might think, you'd be thinking differently. It's very, it's a very analytical way of thinking, and it's very easy to teach, and this group, funded by the U.S. Department of Education, came up with an organization called Code.org, and the, the the process is very simple. Using all of this talent, they developed 27 different lesson tracks, and you any student, any teacher, any school can avail themselves of this for free. And um, the idea was that you you could go through various different phases of this program for free on any any device. It's device neutral. It could be a phone. It could be a laptop PC. It could be a Mac. It could be a, a, a tablet. Doesn't make a difference. And, and and they could migrate through it. But what they did was they went out and challenged schools and communities and even politicians to to shout about this from the tops of the roofs. And the way they did this was by trying to get schools to sign on to 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 uh, create a, a day where they would perform or do this hour of code program. And the idea was to take one of these lessons and take an hour out of your school day and allow the students to get through it and see what the result was to gear what you want to do to go further. So uh, under the uh, under the direction of uh, of uh, Dr. Richard Altaby, um, at, who is now the headmaster at uh, Yeshiva Shari Torah in Brooklyn Boys High School, uh, you know, had a great discussion with me about what we can do to get these boys more into it. And I suggested this program, and uh, we decided that we would work with it in the high school before the elementary school. But it ended up being the complete eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, and twelfth grades. And in order to facilitate this, rather than using the, the, you know, maybe slightly older technology they had in the building, we decided to rent iPads for, for a day. Uh, we had them shipped in, and uh, some of the parents sponsored the, the rental fees. And we had them pre-configured so that when they came in for that hour into whatever classroom they were assigned to, the coach in that classroom, some of my staff and, and some of the uh, school's faculty who we trained on, on, on how to migrate through this, uh, directed them on how to get started. And really, after that, they, they took over on their own because it was really, you know, it's, it, it was, it was um, moderated by a video that was on each iPad, and it taught them their choice was to the, the, the school's choice. Uh, the, the kids actually created a, a commission to uh, take a poll to see which track that they were going to take, and they decided they wanted to develop their own iPad app. Huh. So each group of two or three students, depending upon how, how the, you know, the social situation worked out there, paired up or trioed up and developed their own app. 
And instead of completing this program in an hour, I guess because of their, you know, their uh, their aptitude for for these for these iPads, they they managed to complete it in 40 minutes. And so we realized we had 20 minutes left. So we said, why don't you just start on on an, on another unit within this app developing you know environment that you're already in? And by the time they were done, each student had created their own iPad app really? in in groups of two or three, but they each created their own and. Immediately afterwards, there was such a buzz that within the, within a week, um, the headmaster had to had to agree to create a coding club and staff it uh, as not as an elective but as a, you know an extracurricular activity with the intention of starting in in September of 2014 to you know launch uh, a full elective in coding. Am, am and, I wrong? Am I wrong in thinking that we? wouldn't amend the Mishnah, but maybe we'll have to have a new understanding of what it means to teach our kids a, uh, you know, a trade, that coding is going to be one of those languages that whether, whether our kids become programmers or not, this is something that we're going to have to be proficient in. Well, you know, here's the problem. You can't swim with your iPad. Well, actually, actually, you can. I've seen some some great cases, but um, <laughs> so yeah, we we might need to look at that Mishnah. But, right. But but the idea is that that I you know the, the 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 Hebrew day school mentality at this point, as much as we're giving intellectual tools for the students to take to the next level, I think to an extent we're not inspiring them and waking them up to enough of these careers at a young age. Um, you know, our, our kids because they're on the internet are exposed. To a lot of the world, yet they don't understand how that world works. And I'm not just talking about programming. I'm talking about current events, and I'm talking about I'm talking about you know jobs and job descriptions. You know, a, a lot of kids might not understand what their parents do for a living, or or how or why they do it, and how they got to that position. And you know, in my house, you know, those are things that we constantly stress. You know, my kids think it's very cool that I, I work with computers all day. But they understand that, you know, I, when I sit and talk to administrators, some cases they're administrators, you know, th- that that we're, we're trying to find the right solutions and the right ways to bring technology to them so that they don't spend endless hours in front of a tablet or a computer screen, but to find the best ways where it's entertaining yet educational. Um, you know, there's enough time for entertainment, and that's at a parent's discretion. How you know how much they're gonna, how much latitude they're gonna give their their children, and how much time they could spend on a you know on their laptop or on their MacBook or or on their tablet. But um, but the reality is that there are there are plenty of, of of good clean ways to use this in Hebrew day schools. And and if you think for a moment that that Catholic schools or other private schools are any different than what we have in the modern Orthodox community, you're absolutely wrong because they are going through exactly the same, uh, you know, discussions and having this, the, the same thoughts and second thoughts and, and, and the hunt for the best, uh, for lack of a better term, most kosher way to use technology where, you know, it's not just something we're doing because we have to, but it's doing something because it's become part of the educational experience. Well, I, I, I want to highlight that point for one moment because I think the way we see many of our kids interact with technology, um, it's through gaming, it's through social interactivity, it's various different things like that. But when you see kids come up with these, whether they're PowerPoint presentations, they're prezies, they're you know, I remember back when, when I was in school and we coded our own game, that, you know, similar to Oregon Trail or whatever it was at that point sure. in time. Mm-hmm. When you were able to demonstrate to uh, parents, grandparents, whoever it was, that, that technology had a use, there was an end. It wasn't something that uh, – how do most parents view 
iPads today. Well, it keeps my kids occupied on long car rides or on airplane trips, right? It, it works in those ways, which it does. And, and that, guilty that, as charged. Right, and that's to, up to every parent, as you, as you said. But I think it's where you're at now is at the nexus of explaining how this isn't a substitute for quality education, but specifically can be an enhancement uh, or a necessity even for quality education. And, and I want to take a moment to remind our listeners that they are listening to Tech Talk on the Nachum Siegel Network. Uh, you're here with R.E. Lightstone. We have a phenomenal guest today with us, uh, Stu Greenberg out of Woodmere, New York. Um, at his new company, Adnology, I hope I pronounced that correct, and you'll give the, the, the right um, contact correct. info for that uh, in a couple of moments. You, you're listening to us, or hopefully you can listen to us on jmandtheam.org or nachumsiegel.com. We are very proud to be sponsored by our friends at Adorama Camera, more than a camera store. Please check them out online at adorama.com or visit them in person at 42 West 18th Street. Um, I think that's the appropriate time and with the time that we've got left to sort of uh, take that step to this Florida Educational Technology Conference, what you've seen in the past, what you anticipate seeing moving forward. And if we've got a couple minutes, and if not, maybe we'll have to have you on as a recap, sort of where you view our private schools, which are very different than the public schools in terms of both need and and expense and, and expectations, so many different factors that are involved. But let, let's talk about the conference for, for a I'll, moment or two. I'll just make one comment on Please. that. We, we recently had a had a meeting with uh, the tech directors of, of local schools here in, in, in on the South Shore of Long Island, along with some superintendents of public school districts. And what came out is, you know, while we were asking them for more help and more funding and more participation um, and integration, they were they were asking us how we could bring the projects that we do to our Hebrew day schools. And the answer is very simple. We fundraise for it. They have to lobby for it. Mm -hmm. So lobbying to their local governments and politicians and referendums and the like don't necessarily get things as done as quickly as, you know, a Hebrew day school can when they have something they could bring to the stakeholders and prove effectiveness even before or certainly in the early stages of, 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 a, of an introduction of a, of a program. And that's one thing we have really going for us. They can't go out and fundraise to their, to their constituency, and we can. Right. Um, and, so, and that's an excellent point because Cuomo – and his state of the state made this pitch that he wants a $2 billion bond floated. And I'm sure Michael Fragan on spin class will uh, make sure that the correct words that I said were, were accurate there. But I was sitting there watching it happen. I turned to Michael at the state of the state and said, how incredible is that? And he goes, it, it is. But by the time this actually happens, we'll be um, done. I mean, it, it takes a lot of time. And if, if we sit and wait for that, okay. I think that, that you point something out that, that I think is very apropos. We sometimes look at ourselves as a tremendous disadvantage. We do have the opportunity to pivot maybe more quickly. And look, you've, you've been in the two industries you've spent the vast majority of your time in. I think you'd be maybe first to admit they are very slow-moving industries. But when they do move, I think that we're in a copycat league, not unlike the NFL, of which the Broncos, please God, have an opportunity to win in the Super Bowl this Sunday. I just tried <laughs> I to throw that in again. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> just tried to throw that in. Anyways, while we're in Florida, not cold New York this, uh, this week, what, what are you hoping to see? What are you hoping to get out of it? So it's ironic. You, met, you mentioned the, the concept of how we watch our kids uh, gaming on their, on their, uh, on their devices. Right. And this is really a major focus. It happens to be that one of the major keynotes at this event is about the, gamif the gamification of educational technology. And when they say gamification, they don't mean developing necessarily 
everything as a game like we know it, like we're talking about Angry Birds, but to do it in such a way that the kids perceive that they're learning in different ways. The idea of using technology is, to, is, is not to use the old-fashioned ways and to replace what we're doing on paper with what we see on the screen. Now, granted, there are certainly efficient, effective uses in doing that, but more so it's a matter of, 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 uh, uh, of stimulating the students' minds to, to learn differently. This is a matter of changing the teaching and learning model. So I think, I think, I know, looking at the program, and as far as I can see, that there is a big focus on changing and invent, inventing and developing new ways of educating, new ways of teaching, and new ways of learning. So that's something that's going to that's gonna be a major focus. I've already heard at the ISTE conference last year, the International Society of Technology Education, which is the only conference in this country that's bigger than the one we're going to this weekend, uh, this week. Um, there were some 20,000 people there, and to give you an idea, Microsoft handed out like 15,000 free Microsoft Surface RTs. That, that'll give you a, a, you know, a, a scope of, of and a scale of how that conference went. But uh, there was a lot of talk there about this. That, that's number one. Um, number two, now that you know, iPads have made their way into classrooms uh, you know, en masse, uh, and, and, and smart boards themselves are really, I wouldn't say being relegated to the, to, the, uh, you know, to the back rooms, but are certainly being used less and less, um, and hopefully they're being used less and less as, uh, you know, as glorified overhead projectors and more as interactive tools, which is what their original intention was. I think we're going to see a lot more focus on, again, this reinvention of the way we're teaching and learning using this one-to-one technology. And whether that's actually in the classroom or whether it's a matter of sending it home with concepts like, you know, flipped and blended learning, a flipped classroom and blended learning, that, you know, we're really going to see a change in the way our teachers and our faculties are being trained and, and, and the direction that they're going in. So you I mean, pointed out something that, that I, and I'm going to sing your praises for a moment. You can have the tool, you can have the kids, you can even have the administrators or the parents want to support that, but if the training isn't there, then again, you wind up with a smart board that becomes a glorified overhead projector, and I, you know, I feel terrible for many of the donors who bought this phenomenal tool, and there are people who use the smart board well. And when you go to a classroom where the smart board is used well, it's a great tool. It really is a great tool. It's a tool, and it's a tool that I think was necessary in order for us to get to, whether it's tablets or Chromebooks or MacBooks, and you can talk about that. But I, I think that when you provide and you invest in the technology, and that's where a lot of the frustration comes in. You invest in a lot of this stuff, but maybe we forget about investing in the Stu Greenbergs that are out there that are going to understand what the education is about and to figure out how to apply that. Because you've got the Microsofts giving out the Surface and you watch that commercial about the, the teacher in the classroom and all of his kids use the Surface and look what they're able to do. And you're wondering why if I just buy the Surface from my school, so obviously my kids are going to be able to do that also. And the answer is no. Well, we, we always live in a world of, you know, look at what the other guy is doing. So it's very easy to look at public schools and, and, and the public system in general and say, well, because of their funding, they've had laptops for the last 10 years in all of their classrooms and, and given out to most of the students to take home with them. 
and and you know what's the, what's the efficiency of that? What are they accomplishing with that? Well, you know they have a demographic difference where they have you know students who might not necessarily have technology at home, and if you're implementing systems that you know need to be accessed at home, then you'll be you'd be you'd be you know basically leaving leaving those kids behind, so to speak. So there's a necessity for doing that, but my idea really has been to challenge the stakeholders. You bring all the stakeholders to the table. Who are the stakeholders in a private school? You you have you have the parent body who are represented by a board of education, a board of directors. Who's driving the school from 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 the lay leadership? And they in turn, you know, ha- have have you know senior administrators who they've you know searched for and hired and cultivated and and spoken with who obviously are see eye to eye to them. Hopefully, in 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 most of the areas of of running a school, and then you have teachers. But what I'm talking about now is that these three sets of t- stakeholders really should be driving the vision. And what what I try to do with Technology Partners is sit down at the table, maybe with each of those groups independently in a school. And again, we've done this with some of our clients that we have, you know, full, you know, comprehensive relationships with, where we'll sit down with the stakeholders to understand what their vision really was and what, what it continues to be and where they see their school next year and five years from now. And then we sit down with the senior administrators, and they're, they're going to talk to us about how, what, what they see educationally as productive, and not only that, but what their faculty is capable of doing, and, and how and why. And can they be trained to do these new things that the lay leaders actually want? And then we go to the superstar teachers, those early adopters who are trying to jump on the bandwagon and thirst to enhance their craft every chance that they get. And I am the luckiest guy in the world to work and, and to know these individuals because whether it's a Rebbe in yeshiva or a math teacher in a Catholic school, it really doesn't make a difference. But those who are inspired to teach our next generation and are astute enough to keep growing themselves in what they do are, are, are the best chance that our kids have at, 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 you know, at, at leading the world. In whatever, in whatever capacity they want to, and being the leaders of their own industries. Because when you have teachers who have inspired you over the years, and I can remember, like I mentioned, my, my speech professor, I, I remember the teachers that inspired me. And while I might not have the same political philosophy as they did, or the same personalities as they did, or even work in the same industries as they are, the principles that they taught and their passion to thrive and to make sure that their students thrive in those environments is what's key to all of this. It's not the technology, it's it's how the technology is being used. It's not the books. It's how the books are being used. It's not the pen. It's how the pen is being used. It doesn't matter what the implement is. And the reason that we shift to technology and iPads is very simple, because the world that our students, certainly our elementary school students and our middle school students and even our high school students at this junk, at this, today, they live in the world where the pen is secondary and the iPad and the laptop and the keyboard are primary. Right. So, so why why shouldn't they be using the medium that that they wanted to use? You know, back when when you and I were in elementary school, we sat and worked with pencils. You know, now kids, you know, a number two pencil. Now kids, they they went from to mechanical pencils to pens to erasable pens. You know what? So, to an extent, some of our kids don't know how to how to write. Certainly, they're not learning cursive anymore. Right. And the, even learning typing now has been relegated to the very early years because students are working on such a, 
a, a vast variety of devices that learning how to type on a laptop keyboard or on a standard PC or Mac keyboard is not enough because some of them are typing with their thumbs right. or some of them typing with two fingers. So, for instance, we, in, in Shalamis, we're, we're, we're innovating the typing program to an online system that, again, is device neutral so that the way these kids are going to communicate and the way these kids are going to create is going to be using whatever device they want to, but they're going to learn the skills based upon their devices. Well, Stu, I've got two major comments that, uh, that I think need to be heard for all of our audience out there. Number one is I went to elementary school in the mechanical pencil age. Not in the number two pencil age. So I just need to make sure. me, sorry. Just need to make sure that, no. But to, to, to take your point and to, uh, and to highlight it a little bit more is it doesn't take more than five seconds speaking to you to understand that this is a passion of yours. And it doesn't take more than five seconds of speaking to you to understand, um, how you're trying to translate that passion. Notice, or at least I've noticed, how you define it. Let's get the stakeholders who are interested in making this work because it doesn't take more than one guy to be a naysayer. And and it's easy to be a naysayer in healthcare. It's easier to be a naysayer in education because at least everybody thinks they're an expert in education. And if if you work with, like you said, the superstars, the early adapters, the people who are passionate uh, about doing this, you wind up hopefully with some level of moving that, uh, that needle forward. I, I want you to take a minute and tell our audience how they can get in touch with you because I think that you would be an incredibly valuable resource uh, for so many uh, of our listeners out there. So uh, I can be reached by email. The name of our company, by the way, is Ethnology Partners. You did pronounce it correctly. And the uh, the concept between the, with the name, if 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 uh, it's not that that discernible, is that we deal with education, knowledge, and technology, and th- that is our passion, and is that that's what we deal with on a, on a daily basis. Uh, you can reach me at Stu G at Ethnologypartners dot com. That's S T E W G at Ethnology E D K N O W L O G Y dot com. Um, we have a very uh, limited website at this point, but it is being worked on, and within the next two weeks we'll launch at ethnology.com. Uh, I can be reached on Twitter or, uh, or LinkedIn at Stu Greenberg. So um, I'd love to talk to anyone who has uh, what to talk about. Uh, you know, the, the, the best part of my job is I get to talk to people from all walks of life, uh, all walks of, of Yiddishkeit uh, and, and beyond. And, uh, you know, my goal is to learn as much as possible. So if, if, if you want to learn from me or I can learn from you, please, by all means, reach out. Uh, and uh, I'd love to talk. I, I appreciate your time. I understand on a conference week, uh, again, how limited that time is, and, and you really gave a lot to us. I'm looking forward to spending time with you in Orlando. I hope that you'll point me. I think you're there for four days. I'm there for about 24 hours, so you got to bring me to the highlights. And certainly if somebody's giving away something like a Microsoft Surface. <laughs> the, uh, best, the best part of my schedule is that all day tomorrow I get to sit in the classroom. So it's very rare that I get to sit in and allocate eight hours of a day of training on, on, on some new things. So uh, I, I'm looking forward to that. And the rest of the time will be, uh, you know, sitting in concurrent discussions and talking to vendors and, and walking the exhibit floor, which is thrilling in itself, uh, albeit, ex- you know, exhausting. But uh, I'm really looking forward to learning myself tomorrow. So. Okay, I'm sure. And you'll let me know where the mincha is. So I'm excited about that. Right. I want to remind our audience that they've been listening to Tech Talk on the Nachum Siegel Network. We were privileged to have 
Stu Greenberg from Ethnology on with us for the majority of this hour. You're listening with R.E. Lightstone. You can listen to us at jmtheam.org or nachomsegel.com. As always, we are proud to be sponsored by our friends at Adorama Camera, more than just a camera store. Please check them out online at adorama.com or visit them in person at 42 West 18th Street. Uh, Stu, looking forward to seeing you in Orlando, and we're going to have to have you on as a follow-up in, in the not-too-distant future. So thank you and safe travels. Thank you. I'm looking forward to speaking with you again, and I'll see you during the week. I appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. I, uh, you know, in, in the last couple of minutes of, of here, our 11th Tech Talk here with R.E. Lightstone, I wanted to, to share a little bit about, uh, about uh, me and, and why I'm passionate about this, uh, both the technology, the entrepreneurship, and, and I think I'm blessed to do that because I've got my son Akiva Lightstone with us today uh, here on Tech Talk. And uh, I went to go speak in his school, uh, and he's five, and I think it's called Pre-1A that he goes to. And uh, it's called Pre-1A, Akiva? Yeah, he's nodding his head yes. And uh, he, he's going to get a chance to say hi really quickly. Um, but, uh, it, you know, it was career day, and the problem with being an entrepreneur, and I'm a rabbi by training, I was the pulpit rabbi of a, of a shul. I ran NCSY for many years. And, and on one show, I'd like to talk about the um, blend in between entrepreneurship and the not-for-profit world and how critical I think it really is and, and sometimes how really challenging it can be. But Akiva wanted me to mention to his friends that uh, even though I didn't know um, what I do necessarily on a day-to-day basis, that I do work in the city. He thought that was really important. And uh, for pre-1A in Long Island, going to the city is pretty important. But, uh, you know, I really got my start in entrepreneurship in the following way. I remember when I was seven, I got to go pick out a bicycle for Hanukkah. And, uh, you know, I came home and I was really excited. My father allowed me to choose whatever I wanted. And I went to my mom and showed her the bike that I got. And uh, she goes, well, why'd you pick that bike? And I said, what do you mean? It came with the coolest water bottle. And, uh, you know, that was a terrible reason to buy a bike. And uh, I think that was explained to me at that point in time. But So why is that the start off for entrepreneurship? I think because the, the freedom to sometimes make mistakes. There are a lot of professions that, uh, that you make a mistake, so you're not good at that profession. You made a poor decision, so, uh, so perhaps you're not going to succeed as well in, in that profession. And, and you know, you get to tinker with various different things. Sort of the first job that I ever had is I opened up a car wash on my driveway uh, when I was 10. And uh, the first car that we washed happened to be a relative's and discovered that the wax that I used on the car actually changed the color of the car. So uh, lo and behold, that was not the most successful, um, at least for my parents, I think, business that I had ever started. And that was, you know, something that was challenging, but uh, but learned from that and figured out that you have expenses and sometimes you do things that are correct and sometimes that you don't. And in the last sort of minute that we've got, I know that Akiva wanted to just say hi really quickly to uh, to his mommy and to his classmates. So Akiva, do you just want to say hi? Hi. And I wish everybody a good day. I wish everybody a good day. And hopefully the Broncos will win the Super Bowl. Okay, we're hoping that the Broncos win the Super Bowl. If you're sitting here watching, Akiva does have his Bronco hat on. We're hoping to run into Peyton Manning and maybe next Monday morning have him on to share a couple words after probably the the uh, MVP of the Super Bowl. But, uh, you know, you get your starts in entrepreneurship in a lot of different ways. <clears throat> and one of the things that I'm doing taking Akiva around the city today is we're going to a couple of incubators uh, in Bryant Park to see some of these startup companies work and, and have them explain mostly to me, but he'll listen as well, what they do and how they do what they're doing. And, and as Stu was mentioning earlier, that it's, it's just critical that we open up the eyes of ourselves, certainly, but of our kids and our families and our communities to see so many of these industries that are out there. I think it's critical 
that, uh, you know, as part of the Jewish community, that we continue to be innovators um, and inventors and not merely service. Uh, the service is critical, but not merely in the service industries. And we have to be a lot what, uh, what the state of Israel has succeeded in doing and being the startup nation. And again, just want to close with the way um, we began, which if you didn't get a chance to hear Prime Minister Netanyahu's speech in Davos, you most certainly should. Please look it up. You've had... I've had the pre- privilege of speaking with you here on this hour of Tech Talk. It's RE Lights on the Nachum Siegel Network. You've been listening to us on jmtheam.org or nachumsegel.com. Is always sponsored by our friends at Adorama.com, Adorama Camera. We very much look forward to speaking to you next week. Thank you so much, and have a great week.